So what you're up against, all the disingenuous They wave you along and say there's always room for us But we know better than that to take them serious Still don't let them make you bitter in the process Listening to Holy Commutes for Monday, July 18th, 2022. Holy Commutes is the only daily morning podcast dedicated to all things wiffle ball. Uh, this is our 12th season, our third uh, our third Monday episode of the 12th season. I'm Paul Cook, Monday host, joined by my usual co-host for the second week in a row, my brother Tim. Uh, tonight was we are recording this on Sunday evening, July 17th, and tonight was the uh, start of the Major League Baseball 2022 Major League Baseball amateur draft. Uh, Tim and I are lifelong uh, Baltimore Orioles fans, and the Orioles had the first pick in tonight's draft. They just made their selection a little while ago. Um, Selected Jackson Holiday, a a high school shortstop uh, out of Oklahoma. So with, you know, the draft, you know, uh, usually comes a lot of talk about, you know, rebuilding, about building an organization, about building for the future. So uh, in that vein, we wanted to talk a little bit uh, this morning about, um, about building wiffle ball franchises, about building wiffle ball organizations, um, sort of what that has meant or hasn't meant in the past, what, you know, what that kind of looks like now, how you do it successfully, what that may look like, um, you know, in the future. And, you know, Tim, like the, obviously, you know, when we're talking about that, the big difference between major league baseball and wiffle ball is wiffle ball teams. We usually look at it as more of a team, right. Than an organization. It's just yeah. your group of guys. And then you go and you play for so many years and then you're done. And then some other teams come in organizations are, you know, are around for a long, long time. You know, every MLB franchise has been around for almost at least 30 years now, once the, you know, in about five years, once the Rays and um, Diamondbacks, uh, you know, once it gets to 98, once they hit their 30th anniversaries, every, every current one will have been around for 30 years. If we, if we uh, extend the nationals back to the Expos, um, but both of all teams are fleeting during a couple of years. Um, you know, that's historically been the nature of a wolf ball team, right? You come and you go, you don't plan for the future. 
Yeah, even, you know, your early wiffle ball, you know, organized teams that played in the, you know, mid to late 80s and the early 90s, you know, your Lakeside Kings, they had a, you know, you know, what would be a 20 year run, but that eventually, you know, came to an end. Um, And, you know, yeah, the lifespan, even even if it's the same player, sometimes the team names, you know, change, you know, slash the franchise name. So like, you know, when, when there are organizations that stick around for a while, it's interesting, you know, on, it's interesting to view in terms of a historical lens, but also in terms of, well, you know, how do you keep it? How do you keep a franchise around if you move on from your original players? So let's, I'm glad you said that. Let's start right there with the original players. Like that's how most, most of us start. That's how you and I started. You just grab a group of friends, you grab brothers, you grab, you know, relatives, you grab people in your neighborhood. Um, you play with them or you just hear about a wiffle ball tournament, you grab them because they're close by and you play in your first tournament. So, you know, again, again, obviously that's way, way different than when we're talking about pro sports. Um, But in terms of that, I guess my first question would be, how do you sort of, so eventually with that, you know, if, 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 if you're, if you like wiffle ball enough or good enough that you want to stick for the long term, eventually there kind of comes these decisions. Okay. These guys that I immediately start that I originally started playing with just because I originally started playing with, with them, does it, you know, should I keep playing with them? Those kind of questions come up. Um, what were you saying? Some of the challenges of kind of navigating that of being, you know, and you kind of went through this, you know, with, with the stoppers originally of deciding when it's time to move on for a player. How, how long do you give your, your, your friends, your initial team that you're playing with time to develop and time to figure out wiffle ball? Well, so, I mean, you know, for the original four stompers, I think, you know, we probably would have played, you know, even longer if, you know, Justin's baseball career, you know, didn't turn into something that one, he wasn't allowed to throw a wiffle ball anymore. And two, you know, baseball took major, major precedence as he, you know, got older in high school, Um, you know, so when, you know, he stopped playing full time after, you know, 2000, it was me, you and Dan. And, you know, we took that team through the end of 2001 and, you know, took a bunch of big steps forward. That was about four years of regular play. I mean, you know, April to October, everyday practice, every, you know, multiple tournaments a year. Um, you know, multiple wiffle ups. It was, you know, it, it, it was a bunch of different things. And, you know, I, I think you obviously have to measure, you know, the length off of, you know, how successful you get. I, you know, I, who knows if we didn't improve at, you know, four years is a lot, is a long time. Long time. And we, we had, you know, I think we had good patience because we weren't just in it. We were in it to, you know, get better, but we also new getter men rest and playing as much as possible so you know i, I want to get back to this offers in a second you know, specifically you know sort of dan because i think that's a uh um we've talked about that before but just you know i think that's a good example of, of like waiting for guys but like you know one of the the problems that or not the problems that wolf has like one of the things is you know you hate to see a guy give being given up on before he's got the chance to, you know, to really develop and really sort of become a, 
cornerstone of your, you know, of your team, especially if it's your friend, right? Like, you know, you, you don't want to, if, if, if someone's playing just because they're your friend and then they're off your team, they're going to stop playing. So, you know, like what, what, what's, would you give your friends a little bit longer, you think, and try to develop that, you know, that family, that real sort of, you know, friend franchise. Yeah. I mean, I think if you, you know, have fun playing with the people who you start with, you know, why would you, why would you leave that group at least initially, you know, for us, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, Dan was even, you know, from, you know, even from the start, he was our most stable pitcher, but he, um, you know, he was never really coveted by other teams. We had, we had, you know, big time teams like the Fluffheads, um, a couple other teams always wanted Justin because he had the higher ceiling as a hard thrower and stuff. Dan, you know, was way more consistent, a lower, lower ceiling, but a higher floor. And, you know, you, again, we had fun playing with each yeah. other. We won enough that, you know, when we would go oh and two in double elimination tournaments it didn't frustrate us i mean it frustrated us in the sense that you know you don't never want to lose right. but it didn't mean we're going to go away because we lost this or you know i'm only here if we can win everything right. and i think that's you know I, th I think when you're playing with your friends early on and you get better as a team it makes those early lumps you know easier to take Right. Cause you're, yeah, you're, you're still at the end of the day, you're still just doing a road trip to a tournament with your friends, you know? So even if you go one and two or oh and three or oh and four or one and three, whatever, um, you know, you still had a, you know, you still have got those road trips to and from. And I think, I think that's a good point. I think that kind of makes that easier to take. And like, you know, back to Dan for a second, the reason he got good, I mean, like you said, he was our most solid pitcher at the beginning, but you know, in the four years from when he started to when he, you know, legitimately became a very good pitcher and was either beating, beating the teams he should beat and then losing one nothing to, you know, legitimate national championship contenders. Um, it was because he was, he had that opportunity to play all the time because as a, as a, you know, as a, as a burgeoning young team that would become a franchise, I think we were looking at it. I don't think we were looking at it long-term, but it kind of had a long-term benefit of like, he got to pitch every day. He got to pitch every tournament and he got to get that experience. If you're kind of, I think building a team, if you're, you know, if you're starting to build a, a, it's not even a franchise yet. You're just starting to build a team and you're just kind of thinking, let me get these best players. And a lot of them are young players. They may not, those young players may not be getting all the full reps that they need, you know? And like, that's really important. Yeah. And like, you know, like I said before, like in 98, our first full year, we played in four different tournaments, but literally practiced almost every day from May to October, you know, the, it, it, it really is important, you know, to get those reps. And because we had two guys who could pitch, you know, we were able to get some decent reps off of, you know, off of pitchers. And we weren't, since we were so young, we weren't worried about wasting bullets. We, you know, it, maybe in retrospect, we should have been a little bit more, but that, you know, that that's Monday morning quarterbacking. Right. So, you know, it's like, let's say, you know, either you, whether you start as of just an all friend team or maybe, you know, maybe your friends, because a lot of this happens too. It's just, you know, your friends just aren't interested after, you know, a tournament, after a year, after two years. So now you find yourself trying to put together a team with already established players. 
do you sort of to that same that we were talking about in terms of player development, do you think, um, if you're, if you, you know, bring together a team, how important do you think it is to try to like maybe not load it with all stars in order to allow one or two guys to have all those early reps, you know, cause you know what I mean? Like if you, if you bring four guys together that are all really, really good, there's only limited playing time, only limited pitching time. Do you think it's important to kind of start with like a building block or two and then go from there? No, I mean, I think it's important to, have fun. And, you know, if you're, if you're out there playing and having fun, those things will work itself out. And, you know, what I, what I do think is important is the only way to keep the energy going the right way when you're not winning everything or when you're having, you know, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, bad, not being bad luck, but just, you know, aren't playing well is, you know, seeing growth, not only in your, you know, in in the guys who are, you know, maybe your best player, but also seeing growth in your number three and four players. Cause you know, no one's ever going to confuse me and you for, you know, even average players, but over the course of those first four years, you know, we got incrementally better and wouldn't have had that chance if, you know, we didn't go down that route of, you know, keeping that same team of friends together. Right. And, uh, you know, so like in terms of player development, like are there any specific things that like, you know, cause it's easy, it's easy right for the, you know, the really good players, the guys that are really talented from the get go, you know, they got a good arm. You can see they throw hard, you know, like, like that stuff you can all just, you know, you can see, um, is there anything that you could specifically think of that you kind of look for in terms of, developing those lesser players as me and you guys that like, you know, have had baseball talent, you know, back when we were younger, um, you know, it had talent, but like it, it took us a little bit longer to develop. Like, what do you kind of look for uh, hitting wise? Let's start with. Well, so uh, as a general trait, I think the most important thing is, you know, legendary enthusiasm. Uh, you know, if you don't have that enthusiasm and that love of the game, you know, n- nothing else really matters. Hitting, you know, like I said, hitting's the hardest thing to do on a wiffle ball field. If you don't have teammates who are good pitchers, you're not going to improve, you know, very fast. We had, we were able to get reps off of, you know, good pitchers and, you know, try to simulate game environments in that. So, I mean, you know, if you've got, like, I, I think of a team like, and I'm not ragging on them, but like the Baltimore bees who we played a lot, you know, they had the enthusiasm, yeah. I think, but oh, yeah, they never had, they never had a single above average player. So they were never able to get better. Um, you know, in the way that, you know, we were able to, and our, again, ours was a, it was a slow climb. It was, you know, four full seasons um, of, you know, playing all the time. So, you know, from a hitting standpoint, I think that's the most important from a pitching standpoint, it's again, learning how to throw, learning how to learn one, learning how to throw two, then learning how to pitch three, learning how to be consistent and for, you know, being able to replicate it, you know, in environment after environment. And, you know, Justin was way, way more talented, you know, natural skill wise than Dan. 
but was never able to come close to putting it all together. Whereas Dan took a, you know, took a slower but steadier pace to the point where, you know, it was pretty clear by 2000, he had overtaken, you know, a guy like Justin, who was still being asked for, you know, in unofficial trades by some other teams, even though he hadn't really put anything together at tournaments. It was all based on, you know, a little bit of video and, you know, whatever, you know, some other people were saying. No, he he was essentially, you know, in no offense to him, he was essentially a failed prospect, you know, you know, a a few years in and you still just because of the potential had people asking about him. I think that's a big thing in wiffle ball, you know, a a lot of guys can go pretty far, at least in terms of, um, you know, chatter about them just based on potential alone. Um, but you know, one thing you mentioned to kind of move on to the next point is, you know, basically what you were saying there is in order to be like the Baltimore bees example, they never had any sort of above average players. You have to surround yourself with, you know, with, with players that will both challenge you and make you better, I think in order to really become better. So in terms, you know, I, I think like to get to the team franchise distinction, you know, when y'all start out and you're just, uh, it's just you and your friends, you know, that's just really a team. When you start adding players, I don't think you become a franchise yet, but you start to creep towards that. So talk a little bit about it. You know, you do this, you can do this in the context of the stop. So I think that makes the most sense about when you, you know, about the important, the, um, the impact it can make adding a, like an established good player to a team, especially a team that's kind of on the verge of competing. So we, you know, that's, you know, like, like any good team, wiffle ball or baseball, you know, sometimes adding that, you know, key player puts you over the top. And when we finished the 2001 season, Dan had, like you said earlier, he either was starting to beat the good teams one to nothing, or we were losing to all the good teams one to nothing. And at that last tournament of the year, we finally got over the hump, made a deeper run and finished the highest we'd ever finished at a really competitive tournament. And that next uh, May, we were given the opportunity to add, you know, arguably a top, you know, three or four, pitcher on the East coast and a top, you know, seven or eight pitcher in the country and Nick Schaefer. And that just totally transformed the team because Dan's burden of having to pitch every game was lifted off of him. So instead of having to pitch every game, his workloads reduced in half, he's able to put more, you know, effort and, you know, just, just energy into, you know, half of the amount of innings, Nick's able to take those other half and pitch at a high level. And all of a sudden we start the 2002 season winning the first tournament of the year, first winning the first, you know, regional qualifier, you know, going undefeated, beating, you know, just a, a slate of tremendous teams. Yeah. And, and, and like, you know, the thing I always think about with that is like, you know, we, we came into that first, uh, tournament of 2002 i think without you know we always you know like any team we always had expectations going to any tournament but like you know it wasn't like okay we've got nick now we're going to be winners and then you know and then like it just happened like there is an intangible i'm not huge into intangibles but there wasn't or you know things you can't quantify but there was sort of an intangible impact to that of like a confidence thing of like okay you know now we have this good player you know, he, he wants to be on our team. He's good. 
the pressure is all off of us a little. I'm sure it's off of Dan a ton. And I think it kind of brings out the best in you. You know, I, I think you've kind of can see some of that stuff in MAW recently. Like, and obviously every story is different. Like, you know, the Goon Squad getting Colin Prentice, I think was like, a, you know, like a real good thing for them that, uh, you know, Prentice had more experience and it kind of, especially losing Kish full-time, who was their best pitcher, kind of let Fink, you know, develop a little more at his own pace. And Fink is like, Fink is right there, I think, on the doorstep of becoming, you know, a really good pitcher. And I bet, you know, I, I just think like when you add sort of a player that has a little bit more experience to a team that has potential, but hasn't realized it yet um, in wiffle ball, wiffle ball being such small teams, I think that kind of move can make a huge difference to a, a team and really sort of help get them from that team to that long-term going concern, you know, franchise type deal. And the, you know, the other thing I think that was key was when we were able to get Nick, he had already known us. We had already, you know, gotten to know him, you know, a little bit that prior season. And it wasn't just adding a top level player, you know, sight unseen, right. you know, we knew we would be able to get along, you know, we, we knew that it was, it would be more than getting along. We knew that, you know, it was the right fit in a lot of different ways. And I think, you know, that's something that's a very underrated aspect of, you know, people talk about, you know, you can't measure chemistry and you can't, but you can take a look at people's makeup and see how their personalities work and, you know, do your best to see if that'll fit, you know, with the current players on that team, you know, and in that franchise. Yeah, well, I mean, and to your point about Nick, I think you can measure chemistry in terms of you can measure how you can measure how a player's chemistry is going to be with your team if you take the time to get to know them beforehand. And like, yeah, I, I think that's, I think, I think that's, I think that's a really good point that I, I uh, probably wouldn't have brought up if you didn't bring it up. But like, you know, when you're thinking about building a team for the long term or just even building a team for the short term, it's easy to just say, okay, yeah, this guy's really talented. This guy's you know really good. So I think he would fit from a talent skill perspective on our team, but you don't, you don't know them at all. Like this is, you know, we've had teams at MAW that have picked guys up that they literally didn't know at all. Like maybe they, you know, messaged them a few times on, you know, Instagram or something. Um, and the, yeah, getting to know someone before you add them and being able to see, okay, I know this guy will fill with us personality wise. That's huge. I think that's really, um, you know, that's really helpful if you're able to do that. Um, so we never had to go through before we fast forward here to real sort of franchise building. We never really had to go through this, but like in terms of subtract, it, like, you know, I think one of the more difficult things to say, you know, having a guy on your team, especially if he's on your team for multiple years, whether he's a friend or not, um, I actually think it's probably easier if he's a friend because you probably have that bond where it's easier to tell him, Hey, this isn't just working out. But like, you know, I think one of the more difficult things is probably subtracting players from rosters um, you know, like one of the teams I'm thinking about with this is like the juggernauts. They started when Red started that team. That was the first team he had really captained. And he just, you know, he just said, well, they've just picked six, five really good players to join me. They'll all fill all these different spots. We'll be good. Um, you know, so it was him, Stanton, Miguel, Rafts, Potter, you know, Milstead. And, you know, I think he, what he found out pretty quickly was that was too many players, too many, you know, sort of spots. Um, it wasn't that anyone, you know, was worse than anyone else. It was more sort of a thing of, okay, do we really need, you know, we can probably win with just this foursome. 
you know, it's just sort of some excess stuff. So like that's gotta be, that's gonna be a difficult decision always to make to say, Hey, we're going to get rid of players. You know, it's easy. It's a lot easier to add. Yeah, it's definitely much easier to add. Um, you know, again, we were a, you know, the stompers kept their original three through not only the first run of the t- of the franchise, but, you know, through the beginning of, you know, the second, uh, actually, and then took, you know, the, and then took the second part of that team, you know, into the second part of that run. So, yeah, we didn't have to, we didn't have to do any subtracting, but I imagine, you know, like you said, it's, it's definitely a lot harder to do that, you know, and we, you know, at some point we, you know, Justin's baseball commitments kind of made it, you know, kind, kind of made that decision, you know, kind of made the decision for itself, but it was still, you know, it it was still something we didn't want to see. We, you know, we wanted that. We wanted to make that team. We wanted to win with that team because that's who we always played with. Yeah. And and, and I think it's also, um, I think it would also be a tripping point. And I think like, I think we've probably, and there's no way of knowing this, but I think, you know, we as a, as a, as a sport have probably lost a lot of good teams, a lot of good players over the years from people being a little too quick, making that those moves or a little too haphazard to make those moves. Cause I think when you make those moves, you're kind of thinking long-term, you're thinking, okay, this guy's not, you know, I, I want to be a winning team next year and the year after and the year after, or I want to be a going concern for, you know, five, 10 years. And this guy is probably not in for that. So you make those moves and you bring in some other guys. And then for whatever reason, the chemistry is not right. Like we talked about before, something's not right. And that team doesn't work out. And then just like all of a sudden everyone's gone. So I, I really, I think that's kind of like the trickiest, toughest part of this. Um, you know, and another to fast forward a, a lot here to really sort of get us to, you know, where I want to go for the, the franchise building is when, you know, you have it. So like, you know, for us, you know, we were around for like eight ish, six, seven years, full-time concern. And then, you know, another few years playing a tournament, you know, here or there, not even necessarily every year. And then we were gone for a while and then we keep, you know, this is a stompers came back for, um, beginning of MAW had our original three core had our, you know, had our, our original four from our, uh, best days. And, you know, eventually comes the time where you realize, okay, you know, uh, my playing days are probably, you know, winding down in this competitive environment. Um, and, and, you know, so you start to think, okay, you know, is there a way to sort of keep this team around to sort of keep, uh, this thing going that, you know, has some history and has been built. And as you mentioned in the opening, that hasn't happened a lot. Like, you know, you've had teams that have gone a long while and they've still kind of went away at some point and they've still always been tied to someone like Lakeside, you mentioned Lakeside was ever Lakeside Kings were never going to exist once Coyle was gone. You know, that was, they were his once he was gone, that was going to be gone. There's been a lot of teams like that. Most teams are like that. There's very few long lasting franchises. So, you know, what, and I kind of know from my perspective, why I was honest, but kind of walk us through sort of decision um, you know, from the stompers perspective of, okay, you know, uh, shifting from here's the stompers, are a team to the stompers, are a franchise. So I, you know, when we came back, well, you know, we originally, you know, had to stop playing because both of our pitchers blew their arms out, um, to the point that we couldn't, you know, play in six tournaments a year at a high level because and, and, yeah, and we, they, we weren't going to, we weren't going to do it if you couldn't play every 
all at all these tournaments and couldn't play, you know, competitively. Right. Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, after taking, you know, like about, you know, five full years off when we, you know, when Shiree called us, you know, in July of 16 and said, do you want to, you know, do that, you know, a friendly best of five, you know, series up at his place, you know, we, we were like, yeah, you know what? I think enough time has passed because me and you never, left the wiffle world you know for, at least from the outside looking in right. you know it was always you know well eventually something's going to happen where we're going to you know hopefully be back in and once we once we played and got up there the itch came back you know I, you know times a hundred to the point that oh we don't we just don't we don't only want to play again, but we want to, you know, we also want to do something that we had done, you know, 10, 15 years earlier, also run and organize events. And, you know, when the stompers, you know, when we made that 2017 team, we went and, you know, got a few, you know, different, uh, you know, different players, my, you know, roommate from college, you know, he was a good, yeah. He, he was a good fourth or fifth player, you know, as a, you know, to supplement, you know, he could give us a game, a tournament. And that's, you know, when you, when you start doing that with your original core, you know, I think that's when you start to turn into a franchise. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree with that too. When you start to really sort of, you know, plug in holes and in, in stuff, you know, and then I, I think, to, you know, from my perspective, I think what sort of made it easier to be like, um, you know, I mean, obviously, it, it, you know, there's a lot of personality traits that sort of make it easier to walk away and be like, you know, you know, we're going to pass this on. But I, I think what made it easier for us was I think having that second run kind of gave us some closure. You know, we kind of just we went from being we went from being full time team that was just so into winning, you know, that we just went through that slog of the season in 2004. Um, you know, just a you know, playing in whatever 10 tournaments just to keep grabbing points and grabbing points. And then just to being done, it didn't feel like our story was really finished. And I think in 17 and 18 in MAW, being able to finish that story, at least for me personally, um, you know, it, it felt like we we had that closure, we had that end of the mayor. And I also think, you know, not obviously Jordan Robles did not need, you know, uh, Jordan Robles' Wolfball ball career would be, you know, uh, perfectly great and fine without us. Um, but from like our personal perspective, being able to take this young, great player and have him on our team one year and then being able to, you know, get right into MAW and getting right into full-time fast pitch, which he had never been into before in 2018 on the Stompers, you know, it, it kind of felt like we started bridging that gap. And then I think you just know the time is, you know, it, it was obvious that, you know, the, the time is done, but I think we all both wanted – we both wanted this to continue and we wanted, you know, the right guys, you know, for it to continue. Um, you know, that doesn't, again, that doesn't happen a lot because, you know, I, I just, to, to be perfectly blunt with it, I think a lot of people, you know, for Wolf Falls, a very, you know, it's a very niche thing. It's a very personal, small thing. And your, your legacy is your legacy and it's all about playing. Um, you know, I think we kind of saw it differently. Of like, well, wouldn't it be cool if the stoppers could continue past us? Um, you know, and the opportunity, you know, came up to do that, um, you know, like and in 2000, I guess going into 2019. Yeah. Cause like, you know, I think you were, you know, hit that spot on, you know, I was ready to, 
you know, be done as a full-time player at the end of the, you know, after the 2018 season. But I also knew that if we really wanted to keep the franchise going, especially when, you know, like I, I don't look at the word rebuild as a, uh, as a, in a negative connotation. So if you really want to do it through a, a rebuild, you've got to have some type of some type of connection from the prior team that passes on to the new team. And, you know, I think we were able to do that, you know, just enough. Cause I didn't even, I didn't play in everything. I don't think in 19 yeah. and, you know, and I, I think I wanted to play in a lot less, but you know, it was, you know, it was more about getting people comfortable. You know, you look at the stompers, you know, in 2022 and you see, you know, two championship finish it finishes the last two tournaments. And you're like, Oh, well, you know, they're, you know, we're, we're just in, you know, such great shape and we are in great shape, but you know, that doesn't happen if we don't go through those growing pains in, you know, 19, you know, and 20. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think that may be the biggest blocker to having more sort of fra- more franchises in wiffle ball is that inevitably, you know, uh, just like it is in baseball, it's nice to think that you can have, you can build a, a, a club and an organization and a franchise that, you know, can win. And then, you know, right as you're kind of starting to fall off, you can, you know, you can redirect and so you just keep on winning, you keep on winning, you keep on being competitive. And, you know, sometimes that happens a lot of times it doesn't. So inevitably you're always going to probably have a down period, a rebuild period. And I think the hardest thing in wiffle ball is people being willing to have a few seasons where you're, you know, where you are looking towards the future and you are looking towards potential. And I, there's a lot of good reasons for that. You know, your arms are fleeting, you know, you're, you're using your arms. Um, You've only got so many bullets, but you have to have that mentality of, okay, you know, um, we may not be good this year. We, you know, we want to be a little bit better next year. We want to be a little bit better the year after. And here's our ultimate goal. And that's always not easy. And, you know, the, the, the guys that have taken over, you know, the stompers, you know, Bryce and Gino and Nate and Sean and Gannon, um, and who am I missing? Okay. Yeah. That's, that's basically your core five, um, you know, there, um, they, they've had that mentality of this is a long-term thing. And I think that's what you need to have more, you know, wiffle ball franchises. Well, and, and yeah, and that also helped, you know, when we, when we decided to do, you know, to bring on these, you know, new guys, because we were playing in every tournament, if you play in every tournament and you have some semblance of talent, you're eventually going to have, have a really good tournament. We won a tournament in 19. We won a tournament in 20. We also went 0-3 in a bunch of tournaments those two years. But because we were playing to get better and playing with a larger goal in mind, it made those bumps in the road easier. And it also led to, you know, a little bit of early winning that was, you know, unexpected. And that's always the funnest kind of winning is when you're not expected to, you know, it's true in any sport, but it's particularly true in woeful ball when you're not expected to win and you, you win, um, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all bonus. And it's, you know, that's, that's the greatest feeling. Um, so last, you know, topic I kind of want to talk about here is 
um, you know, just franchises in, in with long generals, like, you know, going into the future. So like, you know, 603 has kind of embarked down a similar path. It looks like now, um, uh, you know, uh, sort of rebuilding around younger guys with one with Rob Donahue still as the veteran there, like you mentioned, the importance of sort of having a a tie to the previous team. Now, you know, Lopes and Bridgio have been playing with them too, so there's already that tie, but this is, you know, sort of a further tie. So, you know, again, very, very similar to the whole Stomper situation. Um, you know, do, do, do you think uh, having more sort of long-term franchises and, you know, then there's, there's others and like, you know, if you start to pull in like NWA tournament, you know, league type things, it gets even bigger, but um, you know, do you think that that'd be a real positive thing for the future of Wiffle Ball? If like, there's more sort of this, you know, history in this franchises rather than fleeting teams that come and go. Yeah. I, you know, obviously I think that, you know, having, having, the connections to the past only make the present stories, you know, right. even better. And, you know, one of the other things that I think, you know, you need to look at is, well, yeah, it's easy to throw your name on a bunch of new players. Like, you know, if, if Coyle wanted to come back and, you know, said, I'm going to pull together the four best players in the country and name them the Lakeside Kings, yeah, that franchise is continuing, but it, it you know, it doesn't mean as much. Like right. when we plucked, you know, Gino, you know, you know, Gino, you know, started in August of 18 and showed potential, showed up two weeks later and had already improved a bunch, comes to the winter classic, improves even more. And we had already signed him by then, but we looked at that as a, Hey, let's, you know, let's, t- let's, try to get this guy who looks like he has a ton of potential and develop him. Same with Bryce, you know, Bryce, you know, today you're, you're like, Oh, well, you know, how hasn't Bryce always been this good? And, you know, it was always there. It was just about, you know, getting the reps. And then, you know, with, uh, with our current, with the current stompers, you know, Nate and Sean's veteran presence and ability to, you know, bring a lot of different intangibles on and off the field, you know, only help make that all more well-rounded. And it's, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think it would be, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm certainly proud of being able to have handed over the keys to the stompers to Bryce and had it be a successful transition and had him run with it and make it into something that is just as exciting, if not is if not more exciting than you know the original MAW Stompers. Yeah, no, it, 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 for, for me watching them, you know, it, it gives me a little sense of uh, I don't know what to call it, pride, satisfaction, or whatever. Is yeah, is is seeing how they embrace sort of you know the history. Like this isn't you know, and, and not the. I don't know. I don't know if it sounds over like a graduate tour. Like, I guess it's not, but like, um, it's not like the Stompers, you know, we never won a national championship. We were never, you know, people are, our story's not that big. You know, we, we finished third in the national championship. We finished sixth the year before in the country. We were a very, very good team, but you know, we were never the sort of, you know, top rated team, but to see those guys want to take on this, you know, legacy um, is a really cool thing to me. You know, obviously a lot, 
because we were, um, I was part of it and we were part of it, but also just as a wiffle ball fan, I really, really like to see that as a fan of wiffle ball history. That's really cool to me. Like you mentioned, you know, just the, the more ties to history you have, the better the presence is. And I agree with that. Um, yeah, it's definitely something I would like to see more of. It's, it's a difficult thing to do, but like just to have that continuity, to have more of that stories, you know, imagine if the, you know, imagine if major league baseball operated in a way where teams just came and went every whatever five years, 20 years, 40 years. And you didn't have like, you know, you couldn't talk about the history of the Yankees or the history of the Cubs, or the history of the Red Sox, or the history of, you know, the Cardinals or, you know, you know, any number of teams, it just wouldn't be the same. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to kind of get more into that direction. And I, I just want to, um, well, I'll, I'll let you have a chance. Do you have anything to say to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, one thing I, you know, you're right. It is, it is difficult to do. You have to, you have to have the right infrastructure and the right people that you're turning over the team. Like, you know, one of the things in 19 was I was still technically the captain and the manager, but like, you know, I, I, I didn't want that role anymore. Right. And Bryce, you know, came out and said, you know, I want that. Right. And we were able to hand it off to the right person. And, you know, so you get, and, you know, there's a little bit of luck in that, you know, as well, but for as difficult as it is, I think it can be done and I think it could be done more. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we will, maybe we will see that, you know, in the future. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and, and the last thing I want to say is I, I kind of feel like we already are sort of in different ways. Like you and I talk about this a lot, though, like one of the great things about wiffle ball, or at least one of, the, one of the great things that we think about wiffle ball is how it's not standardized about how there are different ways to do things. Um, and, you know, so like, I think when you think about franchises, I think there already are some, like, like one of the things I, I that, it's not something I ever would have thought thought of, but that has happened these last few years um, with United Wiffleball and even you know fused before United Wiffleball teams participating in Fast Plastic was like this you know first is first I guess in Fast Plastic the last the, the th last three years they ran was you know sort of you had a bunch of just teams that were playing once a year so you had these franchises that were historic franchises playing once a year in this tournament and then with you know United Wiffle and trying to sort of build more into uh, regular season stuff. Um, one like one cool example, you know, is like you're with things, your phenoms, where there are, as far as fast pitch is concerned, they're once a year teams, but they've kind of tied themselves into other teams in a way. So you got this cool little thing where like you've got these historic franchises that have won national championships, and that's that's the franchise that's represented at the national championship. Um, you know, so you, but you also have them tied into teams during the regular year. So you've got, you know, with Inc. that is, you know, essentially Earl now, you know, plus, you know um didio you got like you know like the phenoms that you know like right now are kind of like you know the core voodoo the, the the three three of the core players on voodoo you know plus you know pagano who's the um you know who is the phenoms basically um you know it's like you have stuff like that like i mentioned earlier you've got these nwa tournament teams which you know i know it's league so that's different but that's that's still a franchise and that's still has to, yeah. and i see them and, and now what's really cool is united wiffle now you see them playing at united wiffle too you've got the keggers you have from kalamazoo who played in 11 i played in every i think it's 11 11 or 12 whatever nwa tournament's up to now years there and now they're starting to play you know and you whiff under that name and you've got, you know, you've got WSEM, you have different names, but again, it's, it's kind of, that's like, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a stompers or even like, you know, this burgeoning 603 situation where you're, 
a full-time league team. There's all these different ways to do it. And I just think all that stuff is cool and adds to the game. Yeah, no, I completely. There's a, a, and you know, like most things in life, there's not one right way to do it. There's, there's different paths that will lead to, you know, success, um, you know, in terms of, you know, long-term teams and franchises. Yeah, I think there's endless possibilities. I think we've just scratched the surface and I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what, you know, other people come up with in the future and, you know, in, in ways to do that. Um, so, yeah, that's all we have for this uh, this Monday morning's podcast. We'll be back next week with our final uh, show of the 12th uh, Holy Commute season. Tim Dean will be in tomorrow with his third Tuesday show. Um, and then the you know, usual cast of characters will follow later in this week. So we'll, uh, we'll see everyone back here on the 25th.